It's the Breakettles podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, aka the failed Homo sapien. And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual. We are in the presence of greatness today. I have nothing to say. We're in the presence of greatness. Sit, listen, and pray. <laughs> no, that's the stand. That's the stand. No, pray. You've got to pray. Because this, 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 this episode, the knowledge, the knowledge, the knowledge, the knowledge, the knowledge. Yeah, I, I think um, for those who have already read the, the show notes in the description, we're speaking to Dan Charnas, author of Dead of Time. Dan is a very intellectual and eloquent individual. Um, and it's a pleasure to have spoken to him and one as being part of the, the kind of first UK press for the book, but also just to speak to him because you can learn so much from his mind and his, and the way he works. I think it's important for listeners across the world, not in just the UK to grasp how important someone like Dan is to the culture of hip hop. Right. And Dilla Time is a reflection of that. You'll get to understand and see why that book is so incredible when you hear Dan speak. And I said it in the interview, I started reading a book and I had to start again. I had to start again. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, This book is incredible. He's a good guy though as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I met him in a previous life. Yeah, yeah. He's super cool. He's super, very humble. Um, but yeah, we won't, we won't keep the suspense any longer. This is Dan Charnas, Breaking Atoms. Check it out. It's another special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. Today, we are joined by an author um, who's been in the game for, I don't know, 30 plus years now at this point. Um, he's been paying it back and paying it forward in the culture for a number of years. So we have to give him all his due, respect due to this person. He's he's released a, a book, a culmination of a four years work, interviewed I think close to 190 people for it providing us with 16 chapters of some of the best piece of work you'll read about music and the life and times of Jay Diller. Welcome to Breaking Atoms, Dan Charnas. How are you doing? I'm great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Listen, this is your first interview with UK Press? That's correct for this, for this book. Absolutely. Number one. We feel really special. That's dope. I feel but you know, we've we've waxed lyrical off air about how much we love the book. And before we get into the questions, we should we should revisit that slightly to kind of go. I I really it's I'm the talkative one, and I find it very hard to really express how how good this book is, because as I said in the intro, is there's music history, there's machine history. Right. There's, you know, and weaving all those stories together and how you bring Fonte and how you bring Questlove in and how you how you bring all these different. And, and then obviously the the contentious thing around the will and and reporting it in such with such delicate in a delicate manner, but so meticulous. Right. I think I loved your you know, the writer's notes, the, the author's note at the end is brilliant because it gives an insight into your process, what drives you and the things that um, really shape the book. But I, it's it's based on someone's life, obviously someone that we we 
you know, highly heralded as one of the greatest of all times, if not the greatest. But the way in which you weave history of Detroit and music within that is something to behold. And I just think I want to applaud you. We both want to applaud you for the work because that is no that is no mean feat. That is that is genius level. What Jay Z talked about genius talent level. That is genius what you were able to do. And honestly, anyone that picks up Dilla Time, I guarantee you on my word. And on Chris's word, you will not be left disappointed because you'll find nuggets that I didn't know. We'll get into that. But I will say this, though, as well. Like, just be prepared when you open this book, because I, I, I opened the book. I got started and I said, you know what? You're going to have to start again. <laughs> right. Right. It's like I did with Breaking Bad. I did the same thing. Yeah, Breaking you have Bad. to start again. I start you have again. to start again. You, got, yeah. you just you got, you got to be in, in you got to be in a headspace to really be able to take everything. Listen, Dan goes all the way to like when Fat Cat meets Guru and Premier and then goes, yo, you should meet my manager. You should give me a demo to Dino Davelli. I start reading names. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's the guy like, who um, that's the guy who uh, discovered quote unquote cash money yeah right it's deep, just deep, deep, deep yeah just based just based told us the, the whole story for the blueprint series and then like like even when quest love was like he tech he texts dylan was like yo the motown uh the motown tape the 05 that, that that was like a veil thing at kanye he's like yeah i was like this is mind-blowing yeah. like 300 fat- 300 um 300 phone bill in the hotel like that's amazing stuff that would have been lost if it wasn't for this book. Right. So thank so, you so much. So there's Dan. a history in that. Bro, I think we're just going to have, we're just going to end up talking to each other I think, at this point, right? <laughs> it's just, uh, it's great. I mean, it's really great to hear. Um, but, you know, for people who have loved Jay Dilla, um, you know, and feel uh, that his memory and his work is something precious, uh, that's just what I was trying to do. I was just trying to hold it in my hands as something that was precious. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about your um, your production, um, your life in music as well. At some point. But let's, let's start with, the, the I guess, the decision to incorporate the history of Detroit, how it was built, uh, and, sure. and weave it with the story of JD for those who haven't read the book. Sure. Well, um, you know, my my it, it really has a lot to do with my, my story with Detroit, which is, you know, my very first trip to Detroit was in 1999 with an artist. Uh, that I had signed to Warner Brothers named Chino XL. So Chino and I uh, flew to Detroit in the summer of 99 to do a couple tracks with JD. That's who he was back then. And he was JD of the UMA to us in 1999. And we landed in Detroit. Uh, You know, we, uh, we drove out to the house in Conan Gardens, went down to the basement, go down there, there's JD and there's common sense. I have no idea what common sense is doing. Like what's common, you know, it wasn't common, it was common sense, right? Uh, And we, you know, we worked on two tracks and spent sort of like, I think three days or a weekend in Detroit and then left. Um, And I didn't come back to Detroit for about nine years um, when I met the woman who I eventually married and I went to go meet her family. And this is when I was reporting my first book, The Big Payback. And it's funny, Search from Third Base was living in Detroit. So I, I my excuse for in, insinuating myself into her like family situation was, oh, well, I have to go to Detroit anyway to interview Search. <laughs> but then Wendy, my wife, took me on this trip. She said, I'm gonna take you into Detroit. And we drove through Detroit. And of course, all of these memories come back from nine years earlier. 
uh, and you know JD has now passed, right? It's it's 2008, and Detroit became sort of a second home for us, uh, you know, over the years, over the past I don't know dozen, thirteen years, and as I became a teacher, uh, a professor at NYU. I noticed that my students, 18, 19, 20-year-old, love Jay Dilla. And so this idea of let's do a Jay Dilla course started, but then let's take them all to Detroit. Because now I'm sort of ensconced in this place and I, I'm beginning to understand visually and spiritually the building blocks of Detroit and the building blocks of Dilla. So all that is to say, I know this is a long-winded answer to your question, but the idea of telling that history was always really important to me because I do believe in context, um, but also the grid plan of Detroit is so fucked up. <laughs> and in a way, you know, if you look at that, that piece of Detroit's downtown, that broken grid that that conflicted polyrhythm of a grid looks like a j dilla like a jd beat feels to me so that was why i wanted to weave those two together long-winded long-winded uh long-winded answer to your no, that was that was question. an ex that was an excellent answer because it gives us you know the personal view, and I think it's important for for people to understand that that when you're writing on something like this, you being from the culture, but then also, you know, just like any method actor, any method producer director, you went there, you 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 were in like you the word you use ensconced into Detroit, and so that's it's important to feel that because we also the connotation to to Dilla is also Detroit. You can't detach between the two of them. They're always together. So I think that's that's important. Now, research. Let's talk about the research because obviously there's so much that went into this. Um, yeah. You interview people multiple times, more than once. Yeah. And, and like I said, four years. Um, I guess what was the process around, you know, you've written books before, but for this particular book, what was the research process behind it? Mm, well... You know, this started, the idea for Dilla Time started as it's just going to be a little science book about music. I didn't think that I was going to write the biography of Dilla. But uh, if you've read my last book, The Big Payback, you know I'm sort of a, addicted to the process of reporting. And that if I can't, like, for example, with JD, there are some things that have floated around for a while. Um, even small things like uh, his father, Beverly DeWitt Yancey, ghost wrote, it's a shame. You see it on complex.com. It's, it's, it's almost a meme, right? But it's never been reported. So I needed to report it. And, it, and through this entire time, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had to keep reporting it. So as I began talking to people, I just kept trying to answer questions. And so it led me from this little science book about music to this sprawling 400 page uh, biography of Dilla, which is also a biography of Detroit, which is also a biography of rhythm, uh, which is also a biography of a particular moment in hip hop uh, and, you know, all that. Since we're in the UK, I think it, it would be remiss of us not to talk about Dilla's influence over here. And I know oh. you said off the call, 
Diller wouldn't be who he is or was without the UK. Can you, in your own words, talk about the importance of the United Kingdom in the Jay Diller story? I feel so strongly about this point, fellows. I really do. I, first of all, Detroiters, you know, somebody like JD is not celebrated or was not celebrated during his life in Detroit. Detroit radio was playing West Coast, you know, gangster hip hop, right? They weren't playing Native Tongues, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul. You wouldn't hear stakes as high blaring from WJLB or, you know, GPR in Detroit. He was not, but he was loved in Los Angeles. Like, you know, he could walk right into Power 106 anytime he wanted because LA was just like that. So in the same way that he couldn't get love in Detroit, but he got love in LA, there was a certain, um, yeah, yeah, that's cool, but, but Timberland, yeah, that's cool, but DMX, right? That vibe in America as hip hop is becoming more mainstreamed, as uh, hip hop is becoming more commercial and mercenary, JD is reduced to sort of a footnote, you know, in uh, our hip hop magazines and media and things like that. But when he goes to Britain for the first time, he is celebrated by people who have great, a great deal of influence and reach. So Slum Village comes to uh, the UK for the first time in 1999. They maybe got two, three, four something shows, uh, you know, in Europe. And he goes, they go right on to Giles Peterson show, right? And then the next time he comes to support Welcome to Detroit, which is a, 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 on a UK label, BBE, he's on Ross Allen, he's on Giles Peterson again, he's got, uh, you know, Dad Baron looking out for him at Universal, uh, Source Virgin signs Slum Village, uh, the UK, uh, you know, NME is doing stuff on him. Like, there was a certain love for Dilla that, you know, when he came to London, he performed at the Jazz Cafe. Like, he didn't have that same kind of love in New York. Uh, so, and then for me as a reporter looking back on Jane's life, where were the great, who did the great interviews, right? Ross Allen, Giles Peterson. Giles, and it's so funny because I talked to Mr. Peterson over the summer when I was finishing this manuscript in Detroit. And I said, what made you decide to just give an hour or half hour, however long it was? He literally, he didn't interview James like you're interviewing me right now. He just gave him the mic and told him to tell stories and play music. My God, what we got from that, because there aren't a lot of James DeWitt Yancey interviews. Uh, there's 16, at least, that I was able to access for this, uh, this book. <clears throat> but that, that Giles Peterson had the prescience to do that was incredible. So the answer is absolutely he would not be where he is, or we wouldn't know what we know about him had not uh, the UK in particular really, really uh, thrown down for him. Yeah. So what you're saying basically is that us in the UK have superior music taste. This yes. Is really what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Yes. But I, and I'm, I'm serious about that, but I'm <laughs> but also you don't have, 
this goes back to my first book, The Big Payback. You don't have the segregatory Jim Crow legacy that we have in America that essentially split radio into these hyper segregated, racially segregated formats. So, yo, Dan, Dan, you're going deep. Oh, wow. I felt chills when you just said that. Oof. Carry yeah, on. But, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying, like, so uh, you could hear loose ends uh, on any major form you know i don't I, i'm not exactly sure what the construction of of british radio was at the time but you know loose ends was not some sort of other othered act in the uk but in america you would hear loose ends on the black stations and you would not hear it on the pop stations so a lot of american artists especially african-american artists had to come to britain to get their flowers, to get their exposure. I mean, going all the way back to Jimi Hendrix, right? So uh, yeah, I, I do think that there is a certain openness, you know, that, and I understand that Britain also has a, uh, uh, let's, how shall we say, a streak of white supremacy, but, um, but uh, I also think that there are ways in which it's not, baked into your system the way it was baked into the american system mm. and that made for a little better melange of music i'm going to share a tidbit with you just before you 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 um to talk to summit the cover of fall in love the 12 inch you see um t3 dilla yeah and barton walking down the street yeah that was taken like a few roads from where i live so that's wow. goulburn road so i went to college across the road and in the back you can see trellick tower wow so every time I look at that and I just think to myself, well, like Jay Dilla, Slum Village, walked the same streets that I did, possibly at the same time, because I was at college in 99 when they were in London. And I'm like, I was that close to greatness and I didn't know at the time. That always bugged me out, but I, I wanted to share that with you. That's great. That's great. I wonder if Wajid took that photo. Peace to Wajid. Yeah. That's a good question. We should yeah. find out, So Get Wajid. We should, we should absolutely find that out. Um, what did you learn about Dilla that you didn't know prior to writing the book that kind of went oh okay and it could be multiple things but I'm always in, I'm interested in the process I love the process I love tid I love those kind of tidbits that those behind the scenes things that just blow your mind what were the things that you you know you you, you know, know you, what I want to reverse this what did you learn about Dilla that you didn't know before so I didn't and, know and maybe it's some maybe it's one of mine because there's so many so I'm I'm not the actual factor. That'll be Chris. I didn't know Stone's Throw was going to go into insolvency before did Donuts dropped. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he pulled out a gun on um on his cousin with proof because he thought he was messing. With, I did like things like that. I did not. Right. I did not know. I had no. I didn't know about the fat cat story about you know you know meet my man Dino Davidi. I didn't know that. Right. I didn't know the right. the veiled the veiled threat to Kanye and and we we're at the 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 shoot for the video shoot for um for selfish, selfish. Yeah. And, and the guy goes oh hey, that's Kanye you think he's better than me like that kind of like I didn't know that and I didn't understand like I, I didn't understand the kind of the anger that prior to him getting um ill particularly I didn't know that anger he had that anger streak he had in him that yeah. was so prevalent I didn't there was things that I just didn't know and, and his relationship with his mother too like you know that the promises of you know him wanted to go to you know I, I want to do my own thing and she wants him to stay in college and that that and just right. his, I guess he's growing up too. Like I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't know that. And I think the, the other thing from a more technical point of view is the idea of swing and the machine history, which yes, I wasn't aware yes. of. Yeah. And I think that all of that mixed together, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm blown away by this book 
and I, and I think you could I think someone who who knows about hip hop or is a fan of JD will love it but even if you know about JD and you you consider yourself an historian on JD I think you will find things that you didn't know before and you'll just be you just you'll be in love with it so that's to me those are some of the things that when reading it I thought okay I I, I didn't know that I didn't I didn't yeah. I wasn't aware well said well that that's that's so great to hear and but also I don't want to like how can I put this a lot of those stories that you mentioned have been around in places, you know, fat cat will say something, but it's like sort of lost in an interview somewhere. Um, so I, I don't know that I can necessarily take credit for, for bringing these stories out for the first time, but what I do, well, I think what I am decent at is synthesis synthesizing. I'm a synthesis. I'm able to sort of take that thing over here and that thing over there, and I can sort of weave them weave them together uh, in ways that put, make everything present, uh, you know, for the reader. For me, I guess, um, my, one of my main goals for the book was to really get into the mechanics of his beat making, but also what they mean. Cause that was like one of the biggest myths, right? When, when, when people talk about JD, oh yeah, that unquantized sound. That's the word. I mean, yo, like anybody can turn off timing correct. And people had turned off timing correct before JD <laughs> was around. And their beats did not sound like James DeWitt Yancey's because it's not, that's just one of his techniques. And we were confusing the technique, that one technique for the bigger thing we weren't talking about the bigger thing which is he literally created a third path and rhythm that did not exist before and very quickly for the listening audience the way i describe it is the european tradition is straight time right every beat counted evenly right even beats time is even you measure it evenly very european right then um, in america in the 19th and 20th centuries, there evolved a new time feel, which is uneven beats, long, short, or swing, right? Instead of da, 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 it's da, 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 that feel. It's, it's a time feel. It's a way of feeling time. Uh, and that comes from the presence of Africans on the North American continent, right? Bringing polyrhythm and squeezing it through the American, North American experience. And so swing and straight, even and uneven, have been the ways that we have felt time in popular music over the past hundred years. What James Yancey did, beginning around 1998, right, is to jam those two time fields together on top of each other, putting them in conflict simultaneously. When you hear a JD beat, those early like Slum Village, uh, Fantastic Volume Two beats. Um, his beat tape that is now called Another Batch from 1998, you are hearing him put multiple strands of straight and swung in conflict with each other. And that is what gives you that lurching, limping, loping, drunken feel. It's, but it's not sloppy. It's not just error. It's not a mistake. It's intentional. He did it. Now, did he do it for all of these highfalutin intellectual reasons no the way james yancey said it is it's the way i move my head it's the way i bob my head right and and yet 
because this time feel has been so influential, because R&B and hip hop and pop and jazz musicians in like traditional musicians now incorporate this conflicted time feel. It is, it, it, it's not a kind of swing. It's, it's swing and straight together at the same time. That's worthy of note. Because for James is it elevates him a bit. Uh, there was this, uh, you know, Carl Cherry at, uh, at Spotify sent out this thing Oh, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago where he's like a top five producers and Jay Dilla made his top five. And I'm like, that's great. It made the top five. He's in the top five for a lot of, a lot of folks. But for me, Jay, I wrote this whole book and I never called Jay Dilla the best at anything. For me, he's not a best, he's an only. He's the only person to come out of electronic music, not hip hop, electronic music to change the way traditional musicians approach their instruments and think about rhythm and think about time. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah. And that's my argument. And maybe we'll have some arguments, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. as I, this book makes its way out into the world, but I'm, I'm sure people know. will, but I think, I think that that point is important because you mentioned the story of, of Fonte and when he and and some of his classmates when he's at college yeah. and and these are musicians these are actual musicians yeah. kind of like breaking down Diller's music that he's used on I guess digital sampling so I guess a segue then to that is you're very passionate about you know something you call in the notes of uh, called Diller law which is digital sampling and how oh yeah so let's talk a bit about that then right let's talk about because you're right yeah whatever you said absolutely one hundred percent right. He, the way he, in which he was able to manipulate and use it to his advantage to get the sounds out is incredible. So let's talk a bit about the, I guess, your passion for digital sampling and, and whether, I mean, it'd be great to call it Dilla Law, but let's talk about that and your passion behind that. Sure. Well, um, it just, as I was writing this, I mean, I've always felt passionately about the, the right of the sort of the, the nat as, as the Europeans call it, the na natural right, right? The natural right to to create in this way um always been passionate about it but as i was writing this book about dilla's genius and this part of the genius has nothing to do with dilla time that time feel this has to do with his proficiency as a sampler think of uh, uh, him as a digital collage artist right and that impetus for collage right can be said to go back to look at the beatles tomorrow never knows which they recorded in late 1965 in Abbey Road, right? That was digital collage, well, not digital collage, but it was sonic collage, right? He's just doing it on a drum machine. Um, it just occurred to me as I was writing this book that there's no legal protection for what he does. And, and his brethren, Q-Tip, Pete Rock, whoever's sampling, there is no legal protection for sampling. There's no right to do it. Everything you do, you must seek individual permission from all parties that you sample, no matter how small, uh, and they can say no. Think about that. Think about a copyright law situation where so many people are creating pieces of new pieces of music out of collages and collisions of old pieces of music. And yet it's, it's Ill, not illegal, but it has no protection. And that to me is a crime. Uh, now think about this another way. 
there are two sides to any record. And I don't mean like A side, B side. There's the master, which is the recording of something, the recorded performance. And then there's the publisher, which is the, the idea that's being recorded. A song is just an idea. A song actually does have, uh, I want to say, the, uh, the, 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 the right of someone to record someone else's song or perform someone else's song is baked into American law. We have what's called a compulsory mechanical license, right? As long as you've performed it once as the writer, if you've performed it once, then anybody else in the world gets to perform that song as long as they pay you the statutory rate, right? Why do we not have a compulsory master license? Why do we not have it? We have Shazam. <laughs> we have YouTube able to scan all the little files and uploads for this little thing and this little thing. Why do we not have a compulsory master license that allows people to sample and allows the people who are sampled to automatically get paid? Because in this system, if you sample and you clear it, it's going to be too expensive. And part of that expense is the lawyers. And if you don't clear it, then the lawyers are the ones who are going to make the money anyway. And I'm not dogging the lawyers because I need them. You need them. We love them. But the system is insane and it doesn't fit the way we make music today. It is legit. It is a legit art form. And beyond this whole dilettante thing, when you think about a song like Sometimes, Sometimes Remix, where he's taking uh, this song called Dance With Me by the Lewis Hayes group and chopping it up chopping up all the pieces of the roads and then recombining them into a different uh, harmonic progression. And I don't know whether they cleared that sample or not. So even me just talking about it as an academic, as a journalist can put, you know, has the potential to put somebody in legal jeopardy. That's insane. That's insane to me. So as you can tell, I'm very passionate. <laughs> I'm very no, passionate about we we are too. We we Carl McIntosh. When we spoke to Carl top of this year, Carl McIntosh who said, said the same thing. Like there has to be something around the sampling. It can't it can't just go on because he's a he's a big proponent of sampling. He's used it and he understands yep. it. And he had some issues with uh, Jimmy Tam back in the day where they they felt like they ripped loose ends ripped off some of their music and it was a whole thing. But he's a big proponent right. of sampling as right. we are too. And I think there is an and, and the only reason I ask that is because we're moving to a place where so many artists now are moving to 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 i guess not, they're not sampling but they are sampling but it's sample free or sample packs or sample yeah. packs and things like mm -hmm. that and so i'm i'm with you with the i mean listen people make money and I'm, I'm all happy but. but the historicity is all gone like the whole point of sampling is that you're uniting the present with the past right 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 i have a vinyl collection behind me and most of the vinyl that's non-hip-hop is only found for me looking through the liner notes to go what was sampled oh lenny williams i'm buying yeah. that oh you know and it's it's things like yeah. that so it preserves music and culture but some people just see it as fine print money but you know i think there's also i think as an artist myself it does irk me that you know historically some artists have had their music stolen and just ripped away from them historically you know this person's going to take someone's song 
right. and perform it for a certain audience. And then years later, here we are as hip hop people, we have to pay these people to sample their records. Well, yeah. It irks, it irks me. It, it, it irks me. The, the, the hip hop artists, black artists, weren't the ones who were committing the crimes and thefts against these these folks, right? So talk, talk, talk. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it's, uh, it, you know, but the other thing is, remember, the people we walk amongst in this industry, many of them, especially as the culture gets more successful, it attracts people who aren't in it for the culture, who treat culture like a bag of crisps, as you say in Britain. I love crisps. You, Be careful. You eat it and you throw <laughs> it away. Yeah. It's a hula hoop thing. It's a hula hoop thing. Discos, isn't it? Discos. It's a, Dori- it's a Doritos thing. That's what you're saying. It's exactly. It's a Doritos it. thing. Yeah. You, you yeah. eat it, you throw it away. And I, of course, it's so hard for me to relate to those people. Like, yeah. what you mean I don't you, like them. What do you mean you don't care about sampling? What do you mean you don't like, nah, babe, we're here to get this money. Well, yeah. I remember working with a band. This thing upset me so much, Dan. And I'll show you before I ask my next question. They wanted me to rap as part of their live band as a special guest. I said, sure, you're my friends. I'll do it. Then we were having a conversation and they were like, we don't even like hip hop music. Huh? So why am I here performing with you guys like every week? And I said, you know what? I'm done. You're using me to appeal to a certain audience. You don't respect the culture. I'm out. I'm out. And also it's funny, the culture, right? That word that we now bandy about in hip hop. That really came, I actually feel like that way of talking about hip hop actually came out of the UK too, right? I actually feel like we adopted that as Americans, you know, but it really was in Britain. It was always more about the culture, right? Respecting this thing as a whole rather than how do we make some money out of this? Because yeah, there's a scarcity to that, right? That's so right. when when things when something is scarce, people go, yeah, no, it's not about the culture because it's less about the money and more about how you know us being part of something and an identity and how we contribute. And and, and Britain as as a nation, if we look back at a, from from a, a non musical uh, way, has had a struggle with its identity since the Romans, right? So Man. you know we've been we've been raped and pillaged so many times in this country that we've forgotten our ident- identity. We forgot that the city of London that's within London is because there was the perimeter built around by the Roman. Like it's, it's all crazy. We are struggling with our identity and still to this day. Um, so yeah, that's another point. Chris, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, let's lighten the mood a bit. Um, you shared a story. <laughs> <laughs> listen, no, listen, Dan, me and Summit, we'll get deep, you know, I'm we'll get deep. If, we'll, we'll get deep. I, but you're I, deep I, as well. I wouldn't be here otherwise. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, we'll, why, we'll, that's you know, why I'm here. Yeah. I've got issues, man. I get angry quickly. Anyway, we're going to lighten the mood. And shout out to your wife, Wendy. Can you share the story of playing Wendy some music from Erica Badu and your first ever JD mixtape? How did that come about? What what inspired that gesture of love? My my wife, uh, the poet and essayist Wendy S. Walters, um, you know, I, I met her in 2008 and she was the first person that I, I guess, met other than JD. D really, you know, who was from Detroit. Um, and that was sort of a way to, to connect with her. Um, so the very first mixtape that I ever made for her was uh, maybe the only mixtape. No, it wasn't the only one. But um, the first one I made for her was this 
Jay Dilla mixtape because I was telling her, oh, I've been to Detroit. I work with this guy named JD. Um, and, but it's funny looking back at this little CD that I made for her. There's so many of the little kernels of what this book became. There's maps on it. You know, there's, um, you know, there's an obituary that uh, Kay Sene wrote in the New York Times. Like it's, there's already this sort of his, historicity to it. And because I was a nerd, still am. Um, but, you know, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that this would be the, the product of that. I, I think that, um, again, what made that happen was becoming a teacher, working for uh, a chair at the Claude Davis Institute, Jason King, who not only was super attuned to Dilla's genius, but, you know, wanted to do things in Detroit. And so all of this sort of came together. And when we first started talking about doing a Jay Dilla class, I said, I shouldn't be the one doing it. I mean, we got Questlove who teaches here, right? This was before Fallon got really, really big, right? So, or as Fallon's getting big. He, uh, sorry, um, uh, maybe I need to, to, to explain this for the UK audience. You know, uh, Questlove and the Roots are the musical uh, they're the band, the show band for Tonight Show, which is like the evening talk show uh, in in the U- U.S. So uh, Questlove was not going to be able to do it. Uh, and I said, OK, well, you know, I did work with J.D. and I do have some facility with this stuff. And I- I've spent the last, you know, five, six years in and out of Detroit. Let's do it. And I did it. And then, of course, part of putting a class together, a course together, is you see how little information is out there, or rather, there's a lot of stuff written on Jay Dilla, but not a lot of it was musically correct. And so that became the impetus for, you know, we got to do something about this, because people are missing it. And um, I always think about this this scene from uh, the movie Blade Runner, where uh, Roy Batty, you know, this replicant who wants to more life he's 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 set to die right and he says you know all those memories he's talking about all his memories and all those memories will be lost like tears in rain and i just i saw jd becoming a footnote and even less than that in the very thing that he pioneered so that was the impetus like i gotta do something uh and then as i said before, as I began reporting it, it became more, more than just his musical innovation. It became his mm. life. Dan, I'm going to say this. This is the last thing I'm saying today. Mm. I'm, I'm in the early stages of writing a book, mm. my first book. I started reading your book. I had to start your book again, and I have to start my book again. Just so you know, <laughs> you have given me extra work. Oh, but, dear. no, it's a good thing. The book is amazing. And I think what you've done is you've captured this moment in time. And I think it will be a reference tool for current fans and future generations. There is so much value in this book, cultural value, musical value, historical value. And you need to go outside and take a bow in the street. (laughs) I think think what you wrote for our friend Sean Sotaro's book about being dogged reporting and all mm-hmm. that and, and the back trick it. I think you need to take it for yourself yeah. now. Go take outside. That same quote, 
and put it there. Uh, well, Go outside and take a bow right in front of yeah. Whole Foods uh, you know, in Harlem here, and let them know I am the man. Well, here's why I hesitate to take the bow because really it, I, I need to take, I need to bow to the people, the almost 200 people who talked to me for this book, who had every reason to distrust, to think that this shit was going to be janky. Like Kareem Riggins had no real reason to talk to me that, that Frank and Derek talked to me. Like it's amazing that Amp Fiddler wanted to talk that Maureen shared so much that Martha, his sister, brilliant, incredible, like writer and mind like her brother, uh, but different, right? Um, that she deigned to talk to me, that his, the mothers of his children talked to me. Uh, I, I bow to them. I bow to them. And I just hope that I've done well, uh, done justice to their stories. And I know sometimes it's hard because they're in conflict with each other. So uh, I just, I bow to them. That's who I bow to. That's that's very humble yeah, of you, but dope. we'll take the bow for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're All gonna right. bow. We'll, we'll we'll be outside bowing just randomly right. for you. No, I'm, I cannot stress. I, I'll just echo what Chris said. Cannot stress how how incredible the Thank book you. is. Um, and you no, know, honestly, you've what you've done is is genius. Yeah. And 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 also and also just thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, thank you, so thank much. you because oh, because you know you we're here interviewing you, but this is something to provide for the culture and 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 like Chris had a reference tool. So we've got to thank people like you because mm-hmm. this is what keeps it alive. This is what keeps the preservation, the historical preservation of the culture of black music alive. Because that's important at this stage of where we are at. To create something like this is important. These are staples. These are things that we we call them a canon. We have to have our canon of yeah, books yeah. that are about historical preservation. Yeah. Required reading. Yep. This is important. This is super important. Not some Joe blog who decided to write a book for the money. Someone who's interested in actually preserving historical uh, uh, and and capturing a time, which you have absolutely done. So more power to you. Well, I'm so glad you see. I'm so glad getting gratified that you you see that it's not a mercenary effort because it, re- <laughs> it really ain't. You you wouldn't you wouldn't be here if we thought that. Trust me. <laughs> I, it, it, it cannot be that. Yeah, two hundred people. I, and if, and, yeah, like, dude, it's mad. That's an undertaking. This is mad, like, absolutely mad. And I, like I said, I cannot, I cannot, can't express in words how, how grateful we are. But we have to thank, thank you for you. that, man. Mm. Thank you. It, it, you know, it's made here, me want to listen thing. to the music all over again. Right, right. Here's the other thing: we, you didn't have to write the book. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. As much as those people didn't want to talk to you, you didn't have to write the book. You chose to do it. Because there's a passion there, and I think that's important to that's important to highlight of Thanks, all things. Man. Thank you. Because I, I'm I'm I, what I'm passionate about is the preservation of 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 the overall culture for black music, and we're losing that, and and it irks me. It just irks me, and and we're all passionate about different things, right? right? And you talk about your your guiding passions in in the in the notes at the end, and I think this is important. So I don't care what anyone says, and I say this to people that I like. I punch someone in the face for you, bro, and I and I can't fight. <laughs> Dan, he's so angry and he's so aggressive. I I keep telling him it's not that serious, man. Just relax. I'll tell you, man. I'll do it. But thank you. Been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Peace to Dan once again. I mean, what a guy. What a guy. I mean, legend. To put together something like that, I seriously, I can't get over it. 
you know, you you and I know, Chris, that this will dominate the timeline when it drops on February 1st. Absolutely fine. This is one of those things I don't mind dominating the timeline. Right. It's okay because when you do get it, especially from people outside the States, when you do get it, it's worth the wait. Trust me. Yeah. I know this is a book that I'll read over and over again well into my life. And I think this, I think this book is going to expedite the making of a Jay Diller film or biopic. And you should absolutely use this book as a point of reference. Yeah. It's every home needs one. Coffee table needs every home needs three. One for the coffee table, one for the bookshelf, one for the bedroom. Fact. Regardless of what Fact. you do in the bedroom, keep on in there. You might need it. Wow and that wow and that explicit family show and that family show. No, that's and that. not in it. Check the check the credits and that explicit and that. Potty mouth of oh, yeah, the south. Come on. I'm the potty mouth of the south. Come on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. No, but um no, Dan is is incredible. The book is incredible. Dinner time is out. February 1st, make sure you cop it, get it wherever you can. Trust me, it's not something you want to miss. You can follow us on social media at Break the Atoms, Twitter, Instagram at Break the Atoms. Chris's handle is at I'm Kinetic, mine is at Hip Hop Chronicle. We'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, <laughs> I just remembered something. peace. <laughs> Sorry, I know you just go said on. peace. Yeah, man, you might have to go, you know, talk to your man, Apollo Brown. I have to straighten some things out, you know what I mean? Wow. Apollo, <laughs> all right. So, all right. All right. Let's talk about this. Sorry. Sorry, Dan. Sorry, Dan. A little, a little, a little uh, sidebar before we end the show. So outro music cannot be played at this point. No, nah, louder. Um, so Apollo Brown, I think, I think, I think Apollo Brown's going to beat me up. I, and I think he should. Uh, I'm not backing you. Why? Nah, man. Nah, man. I ain't backing you. You're telling me, right? Hold on. Right. Tell me now. Let's say Just Blaze, right? Just Blaze says, yo, I'm gonna bust your boy's head. You ain't gonna jump in. You'd be like, "Look, what for you? I would nah, absolutely." You'd, you'd, you'd give him my location. You'd give him my addy and tell Just Blaze to slide. So, firstly, I would give Just Blaze your IP, your location. You don't even need to um, do that because Just Blaze so smart on the computer, you'd probably find it anyway. He'll find it, but no, no, I would absolutely. But so, just for context, there was uh, an episode with Ty Ferris that we did very recently. Um, shout out to Ty Ferris. In that, I, you know, well very jokingly kind of prodded Apollo Brown in the way I do the aggressive manner that Chris always says I do just to kind of go, why don't you do it? You know, if I pop shit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I woke up this, uh, this fine morning, uh, this fine crisp winter morning uh, to a message from <laughs> Apollo Brown on my Instagram with a couple emojis and saying hilarious, meaning I guess he's in reference to me popping ish. Bro, I ain't saying nothing to you, man. Shout out to Apollo Brown. You, man, have to square it out. My money's on Apollo. What? Yeah, my Come money's on, on man. Apollo. I got, I got... No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Shout out to Apollo yeah, Brown. my money's on the... He knows. Bruv, he'll grab he you knows. by your beard. I never scared. I never scared. You, I don't care if you're scared. Don't mean you can fight. I never scared. Don't mean you can fight. I got hands. I got hands. I got left hand and a right yeah, hand. Don't mean it works. I got hands. Don't mean it works. <laughs> Apollo Brown from Detroit. This Yo, oh my God, did I just cause problems for myself in Detroit? Bruh, have you seen um, Apollo Brown's skill trade album with the boots? He's going to stomp you out. <laughs> <laughs> Apollo, I ain't scared, man. I'm here. No, love I, love I, to I, Apollo. Friend no, of the t- show. T- no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Drop your location, innit? No, no, don't do that. Drop Bro, your location. Don't do that, man. Don't do that, man. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. How you drop... I don't even know how to drop a location. I think you can... Um, so where I'm at, I could send you like a pin on a map. So if right. you were ever coming to meet me, you'd have the exact location of where I'm at. So, so theoretically speaking, if I took a trip to Antarctica mm-hmm. and dropped my location, Apollo would have to meet me there. You'd have to meet you there. Okay. 
That's but considering you'll fly over Detroit to get to Antarctica, which basically means you're scared anyway. So and but no, I got I got, I got I I don't have the no flow uh, fly zone, but I got the pass. I don't. Well, there's no trick fly trick zone, was on no Apollo's album, so if he wanted to activate on you, I'm sure he could. It's all bad for you, bro. Just say sorry. It's all bad. I didn't do anything. Uh, anyway, all right. We should close this yes, out. Let's Shout out to Dan Chandler. Dan, 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 Dan's got me. Dan's got me. Dan's got me. Okay. Dan's. Do you got think me. that works for you? Go ahead. I'm solid. I'm solid. Right. I'm good in every hood, man. What the hell, okay. man? I'm good in every hood. What? 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 All right. Anyway, um, we'll be back with another episode. Until next week. Peace. Peace.